Well, if you have your Bibles, grab them and turn to the book of Proverbs with me. Recently, I went on my Amazon account and searched for books on parenting. And whether or not all the hits were actually parenting books, uh, still the search netted over 70,000 results. So here's a sampling of the best sellers, covering really the gamut of parenting concerns. So you got to start with uh, the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, right? Uh, and then we go on to Potty Training in Three Days, which I should be, think should be under the humor category instead of the parenting category. Uh, continuing on to No Drama Discipline and a book called If I Have to Tell You One More Time. On to Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. And finally, Arriving at the Price You Pay for College. It's really all there, folks. Use your Amazon account. Find them all. All the parenting advice you might want and need and more. Certainly, if you've ever talked to someone about the topic of parenting, though, you've heard lots of advice, lots of stories, stories of failures, success. So it should come to, as no surprise, then, that as we continue our study in the book of Proverbs this afternoon, we see that the wisdom of this book specifically addresses the concept, the topic of parenting. So, brief refresher, uh, Proverbs is uh, kind of an a, a accumulation of wisdom literature, mostly by King Solomon, though definitely not all by King Solomon. We see other sages and their names towards the end of the book especially. In chapters 1 through 9, which we studied through uh, last fall as a church family, uh, we saw kind of successive lectures from a father to his son, uh, persuading him to follow not the path of folly that ends in death, but the path of wisdom that ends in life. And now in the weeks uh, following Christmas, we're trying to dig into the rest of the Proverbs, which aren't a series of lectures. It's more like scattershot uh, Proverbs, these short, pithy sayings uh, that show how the wisdom we were trying to be persuaded of in the first nine chapters, how that actually plays itself out in our daily routine lives. Uh, that's the Proverbs of Proverbs, if you will, in these chapters. And so instead of going through them successively, which is our habit with books of the Bible to just walk through verse by verse, we, if we did that, it would feel like 20-point sermons that had nothing to do with each other. And that's kind of what Proverbs is about. It actually wouldn't really be faithful to Proverbs to preach through it successively uh, verse by verse in this section of the book. So instead, what we're trying to do is grab topics that look like they are mentioned several times and consider them together. So we've looked at money and work uh, and other things. Today, we're in parenting. Proverbs, if you'll remember, sees basically two ways you can live. You can seek wisdom, and remember our working definition of wisdom is a right view of God and his world and then living life in light of that view. Or you can seek folly, which includes a rejection of God, and living life not in light of him, but in light of what you want, your desires. And so parenting today, what is wise parenting? And before we dig into this topic, I want to preempt 
two thoughts that I've had in preparing this, and so I'm guessing some of you might have, even if it's subconscious. The first is, is this a topic relevant to all of us? I mean, so Loudoun Valley has our fair share of young families, married couples with kids still at home. And so for those of us who meet that criteria, this study will, well, I hope, feel super applicable. But what about those of you who are unmarried? Or those of you who are married without kids? Or those of you who have kids, but you're now empty nesters? Is this sermon less important for those members of our body to consider? Obviously, I'm going to say no, because I want you to listen and because I think it's true. But there are different reasons for saying no. Uh, For one, we're all in different seasons of life, but we're still all one church family. So regardless of what season you're in, regardless of whether you've had kids, but you're not necessarily parenting them uh, in the same day-to-day way anymore, or whether you'll never have kids, Regardless of what season you're in, you have a responsibility as a member of this church to pray for and support and love and care for young parents and families in this church. And my hope and desire is that Proverbs gives you good ways to do that. So hopefully reflecting on the truths about parenting in Proverbs will cause you to better pray for and care for the parents of young kids in this church. Another reason, though, to, to listen up is to, con- to, is to understand more about God. I mean, this is God's word. All of it is from the mouth of our Lord. And so our relationship to the God of this word is one of a child to a parent, isn't it? So hearing God's wisdom about how to parent children should give us a clearer vision of the God who parents us. And by his grace, that will lead us into deeper worship and love for him, right? That's one thing I wanted to preempt before we get started. The second thing is that I just want to get out of the way any idea or notion of the super parent. None of us are pros at parenting. Some of us have more experience and more wisdom, but none of us have arrived, least of all me. So why am I giving this sermon then? What gives me the right to be up here? I've been a dad for seven years. Well, I'm up here because I'm not preaching my views on parenting. My goal is to rightly communicate God's view of parenting. That's always our goal here at Loudoun Valley, is to let the word of God drive all that we do and study and think and learn. And so if you hear anything from me this afternoon that's not in here, forget it. But hopefully you'll hear much of what's in here. So let's dig in. Let's see three things this morning, or this afternoon, we'll we'll all keep saying that, on parenting in Proverbs. First, we'll see the problem of folly. The problem of folly. Second, the need for discipline. The need for discipline. And third, the blessing of wisdom blessing of wisdom. So first, the problem of folly. One of the assumptions of our broader culture here in the United States is that human beings are fundamentally good, that we are corrupted by our environments or education 
where we are at root good. And Proverbs hits that idea head on, teaching that folly, not wisdom, is the default mode of the human heart from the very first signs of life. That might sound kind of like a harsh thing to say, like a big accusation to make that we're all fundamentally foolish. But I think if you consider that, it's actually super helpful and super hopeful. Why? I mean, think about it. This world is terrible at times. It's a bad place to live at times. Our lives are regularly disrupted by broken relationships, angry tirades, hard-to-shake addictions, dashed dreams. And so to think that we're all fundamentally good people, and yet this is what we got to live with, I find that pretty discouraging. You'd think we'd be able to come up with something better. The Bible, I think, provides a much better understanding, and I think a comforting one, for why the world is the way it is. The reason is that we're not fundamentally good. We're fundamentally fools. So grab your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We'll get to that rod of discipline in a moment, but consider for now the statement Proverbs is making about human nature. So folly is the opposite of wisdom, right? These are the two categories, big categories in Proverbs. And so folly is not rooted like wisdom in the fear of the Lord, but in the rejection of the Lord. And this folly, says Proverbs, is bound up. It's fastened deep into the heart of every child. King Solomon's father, David. Remember what he writes in Psalm 51? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Every child comes into the world prepackaged with a foolish heart. And that truth doesn't devalue children. Children are made in the image of God. But that truth does show the reality of life in a fallen world, corrupted by sin. There's unfathomable beauty in every child and unfathomable brokenness and need in every child. So we all come into this world in a position of opposition to God. And it's designed for us. This is a problem. This is the problem of folly. And in Proverbs, we see this folly, this foolishness, played out in a child's relationship to his parents. See, in God's good design, parents are designed as representatives of God's authority to their kids. And so a child who's foolish, who wants to reject God's authority who doesn't want anything to do with the God who's designed them, well, it just makes sense. They're going to buck up against the authority he has invested in their parents. I mean, just, it's just the common sense flow of rejection of, a, of God's wisdom, of the fear of the Lord. So turn with me to Proverbs 19, verse 26. 
19.26. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. So that the family structure, particularly between parents and children, breaks down not merely because of environment, not merely because of education, though those things are important and they make a difference, but because of the evil of their hearts. And the end of all of that rejection, the, go- the, the kind of end result of all of it is terrible. So look with me at chapter 20, verse 20. It might be on the same page there. 20, 20. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. We have a problem of folly. And this problem makes parenting extremely difficult in a fallen world. So what's the wise way to parent foolish children? According to Proverbs. What's the way to fear the Lord as parents and walk in wisdom ourselves while raising precious children who have folly-bound hearts? Well, that brings us to the second point this afternoon, and that is the need for discipline. We've seen this need all throughout our study in Proverbs, haven't we? We've seen how wisdom is not natural to us. It's something we need to grow in. And we've seen how wisdom is not something we drum up in our own ability, but something God gives. And so one of the tunes Proverbs keeps on playing in our heads is this need to listen, to be humble, to hear, to learn in order to be wise. We need to grow in wisdom. And how does that humble posture develop? Well, we saw last week this Proverbs just continually says, listen to other people, especially when they're criticizing you. In large part, Proverbs says this humble heart, this heart that will receive wisdom happens through discipline. In our folly, we don't want to listen. None of us do. So we need to be startled, woken up. The alarm clock needs to go off. We need to be corrected. So it's no surprise the counsel Proverbs gives to parents of children who have folly in their hearts is to lovingly discipline them. Discipline will steer them, Proverbs will say, away from folly toward wisdom, toward the way of life. So turn with me to Proverbs 13, 24. One of the best known verses in Proverbs on parenting. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Notice that the parent who loves his kid disciplines him. Not the parent who hates his kid, not the parent who has incredibly high standards for his child, but the parent who loves his child. This discipline, Proverbs notes several times, can take place, though certainly not always, with the rod, with corporal discipline. That's another unacceptable thing to say in many parts of our culture. And in some ways, that's for good reason. Because in a broken world, corporal discipline often devolves into corporal abuse, into anger. 
And so it makes sense that some would try to distance themselves from that kind of corruption by doing away with any sort of corporal discipline whatsoever. As long as we just say that's off the table, then we'll be safe. Proverbs is not advocating for angry, vindictive discipline. Proverbs is all about the humble, gentle heart. It warns against anger repeatedly. No, Proverbs is not advocating for excessive discipline. It's recommending the use of the rod as a particular way to remind children to follow the path of wisdom, not folly. The rod is meant to be used in love and mercy and care, not anger, not vengeance. Is that how God disciplines his kids, his children? Now, is physical discipline always the best idea? Certainly not. Is it never the best idea? Certainly not. It takes wisdom to understand how best to discipline our children. But discipline, we must. Why? Proverbs says, because we love them. Discipline is not in the hate category of parenting, but in the love category. What's hateful towards kids is forsaking disciplining them altogether. So turn with me to Proverbs 19, 18. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, I don't know about you, but the way I've read that, I think over the years, definitely in preparing this sermon, the the way I've always read that is sort of a warning to a parent who might get what one scholar calls carried away, right? So there are times, there might be times as a parent when you lose control. You're so angry that your discipline will verge on the extreme, too extreme. And if that's you, you repent, you get help, you're honest with other people while not forsaking discipline altogether. And that might be the point of this verse. But a better interpretation is that this verse is saying the parent who does not discipline, so who doesn't obey the first phrase there, discipline your son, who doesn't do that, is seeking on putting him to death. Does that make sense? So it's saying, discipline your son, for there is hope. Don't forsake disciplining him and thus put him to death. Something like that. This verse is saying neglecting discipline can kill. And that's the picture we get over in chapter 23 as well. So flip over to 23.13. Proverbs 23.13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Verse 14, if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. I love how the the Bible commentator Derek Kidner puts it when he says about this verse, the child will not only survive the discipline, he will survive because of the discipline. You see the reasoning in Proverbs. If folly ends in death, and every child has a heart of folly, Then disciplining a child so he becomes wise, so she becomes wise, will keep her from death. 
So as parents, the wise thing to do is to discipline, to train in wisdom. Look at chapter 22, 6. This is perhaps the most famous verse on parenting in Proverbs. 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's wise parenting. To love not yourself in lazy negligence, but to love your children in diligent discipline. Now, something must be said about that verse we just read. Remember, we've said this many times. Proverbs says some things that are always true and some things that are usually true. God's design is perfect, but in a broken world, things don't always go perfectly. We've distorted God's creation in our sin. And so there will be times when you parent a kid extremely well. When you've been the model parent, you've trained them up in the way they should go, and they still depart from the way of wisdom. That's life in a broken world. It's devastating. And so as parents, we need to look at this verse and remember that along with an exhortation to train up, train up, train up, to remember you aren't Jesus. You never were. You can only point to Jesus. You can train up your children to follow him in wisdom, but you can no more create new spiritual life in them than you can save your own souls. You, like your children, are needy and foolish and in need of salvation. You are not the giver of wisdom. You are not the giver of salvation for your kids, ultimately. It's God. So Christian parents, lovingly discipline your kids, but don't demand they love God simply because you've worked so hard to make that happen. Exhort them. Encourage them. Push their eyes to Jesus and God will do the work of changing their hearts. Rest in him. Train up your kids, pointing them not to yourself as much as you point him, them to the only one who can save. See, disciplining our children helps them live well in God's world. And isn't that the desire of wisdom? To live well in God's world under his rule in the fear of the Lord. A couple years ago now, the, the men of the church did a theology boot camp that some of you were involved in, and we read a little book on the gospel-centered family by Tim Chester, who's a pastor in England. And, and this is a, a bit of a long quote, but I think it's helpful. It has been to me. This is how Tim Chester puts kind of raising kids as a view to God's rule. This is what he says. Parents are God's gift to children to teach us how to live under authority. Learning to enjoy your parents' authority is the first step towards welcoming God's authority. He turns to the parents then. He says, don't tell children off for being children. Children break things and drop things. They get giddy and raise their voices. But ensure they obey you. Teach them to submit to your authority. Discipline disobedience. Don't let your child rule the home. If you do, you'll be teaching them that they are the king in their lives. They're not. It won't prepare them for wider social interaction, and it won't prepare them to meet the true king. 
Parents are to model God's good, liberating, just rule in the way they bring up their children. We're to show that it is good to live under authority. Your number one aim as a parent is to show how great it is to live under God's reign of love. See, Chester takes pains to show how this submission to God is not just out of observing his authority, but seeing his merciful love to us as his enemies and giving us Christ. Parents, what a privilege to show this kind of self-sacrificing authority to our kids. Your discipline helps your kids fear God. And as we've seen throughout Proverbs, fearing God means being in right relationship with him, loving him, adoring him, seeking him, serving him. Christian, point your child to Jesus. He's their only hope. He's your only hope. That's the need for discipline. Let's continue then and conclude with the blessing of wisdom. The blessing of wisdom. See, God's design brings blessing. That's another theme in Proverbs. And this blessing is evident in this book for families that seek wisdom. So look at chapter 15, verse 20. Proverbs 15, 20. It says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Gladness is one of the fruits of having wise children. Joy is a wonderful result of all the struggles with discipline and training kids up over the years. This is the fruit that we can hope to enjoy, all things being equal, from kids who have been disciplined to seek wisdom. So, parents of young kids, do your kids know that your greatest desire for them is to be wise and to know God through Jesus? Is that the case? Or, or do you have implicit, unspoken expectations that they must meet if they're to be approved by you? Have you made it clear? Have you said things like, Son, if you love Jesus, my soul will be glad. Daughter, if you grow in wisdom and you embrace the gospel, my heart will sing. Look at chapter 20 and verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. So while we just saw kind of this root, this avenue of blessing from the child to his parent, here we see the avenue of blessing from the parent to the child, a blessing flowing down. So parents, are you walking in godliness and integrity? That's going to impact your parenting. What do your kids think when they think about their parents' relationship with God? Is the picture you paint one of kind of burdensome to-do lists? Or is your relationship with the Lord life-giving to you? Your kids will see that. How are you representing the fear of the Lord in all its law and all its love to your kids? Flip over to 23:24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Verse 25, let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. 
So here's an exhortation to kids who might be watching who are in the room. Gladness comes to your parents when you walk in wisdom, when you seek God. That brings your parents joy. And you should know, kids, that your parents need God just as much as you do. When you disobey them, they know that feeling because they are often tempted to disobey God, who is the authority over all of us, your parents included. But as your parents seek the Lord, seek to obey them. You will find blessing. And church, as we look to conclude our time in God's word this afternoon, this is Proverbs' instruction for parents in the way of wisdom. However, as we've noticed throughout our study in this book, God's design has been distorted by our sin, hasn't it? This world is corrupted, and it's broken. And this might be going out on a limb a little bit, but I think I'm safe in saying that there aren't too many places in our lives where brokenness is as keenly felt as in relationships between parents and kids. Some of you have parents who've used their authority over you to abuse you. Some of you who have children who have strayed from the way in which you tried to train them up. Some of you struggle to forgive your parents for ways they hurt and failed you. Some of you really struggle with ongoing mom guilt or dad guilt, as the terminology goes, and the guilt just paralyzes you. Have you messed up your kids forever? What are we to do with the brokenness we experience in our homes between parents and children? Well, we're to look to our Father in heaven. To the perfect Father who sent his perfect Son and laid on his Son the brokenness, sin, and foolishness of us all. There has never been an ideal parent, and there will never be an ideal child. But from eternity past, God the Father and God the Son lived in an ideal family relationship. Perfect, intimate, no brokenness, complete trust. Their father-son relationship was never marred by sin, never disrupted by disunity, never battered by anger, never abused in frustration. Their relationship was perfect, is perfect, always will be perfect. And yet... Both God the Father and God the Son planned to disrupt their own relationship in order to bring our broken souls home. On the cross, God the Father poured out his anger for our sin, our folly, on his perfect Son. And Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Jesus was a willing participant a willing son in the grand work of redemption. And in his death, he took our sin and God's judgment for it so that if we repent of our wickedness and confess our need for forgiveness, he will save us, bring us into his family, making his father our father. 
See, in the parent-child relationship where we can experience some of our most intimate brokenness, God sent his son to be broken for us so we could be brought into his family. Jesus, the wisdom of God made flesh, became foolishness for us so we could be saved, adopted into his forever family. That's the ultimate blessing of wisdom. It's the only way to have a right relationship with the God who designed us so we can live humbly and wisely here and then live forever there. It's the true way to actually fear God. Martin Luther called the fear of the Lord a filial fear, a son-like fear, a son who knows his father loves him and will not punish him for his sin in the way that his sin deserves, but who desires his obedience and affection. Christian, your family here on earth may be broken. All of ours are to some degree. But you have been adopted into a spiritual family that is whole and will never fade away. If you have turned from your sin and placed your trust in Christ, you have been adopted by God himself. And now, get this, he looks at you and says, you are my well beloved son and daughter, well-pleasing to me. That's your hope. Where's the hope for broken families? In the family of God. And the entrance to that family is through the broken son of God. Do you see God as your father? When we did our day of prayer a few weeks ago, I included a a quote that I'm going to read again from J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God, on the idea of adoption into God's family. This is what he says. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Church, find your hope in a broken world. Find your hope in the forever family into which you've been adopted. Confide in your heavenly Father and strive onward. Our homes may have brokenness, but little by little, day by day, our Father is bringing us to our true, unbroken home. Let's pray for that day. Our Father, our homes at times can feel like battlefields where we wage war between our desires and the desires of our siblings, our kids, our parents. But you have redeemed us in the spot where we were most broken. And you have brought us home to yourself to now call you Father. We thank you. We ask for renewed joy as we sing your praises now.
our great Father. Amen.